Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Wednesday, February 23rd. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. As I was preparing this podcast, the news broke that Trudeau has withdrawn or ended the Emergency Act in Canada. And while I think that's great news, and I love the timing of it as inspiration for our own U.S. convoy, the Freedom Convoy that is beginning to leave California today, I believe, or tomorrow, and heading to our capital, to Washington, D.C., I hope we don't forget about those truckers in Canada who have been arrested, literally without cause, who are being held without bail until trial, and those innocent people who contributed funds anywhere from $25 to I don't know what to support those truckers with food and fuel and whatever else they needed during their three-week peaceful protests. Let's not forget about those people because they've paid a heavy price and we need to make sure that they are treated fairly and that would mean released. And while the Canadian situation is on its surface, temporarily abated, it's not so with the Russian and Ukraine situation. And I want to look at that from a couple of angles. But in order to do that, we first have to look at Russia historically. We have to look at something specific in the Russian history, because there is a very similar situation playing out in Russia today. And what I'm talking about is in the early 1900s, the last emperor of Russia, Nicholas II, Tsar Nicholas II, and his empress, Alexandra, had a hemophiliac son. He was the heir, Alexa, Alexei, the son, was the heir to the throne. Because he was hemophiliac, obviously, the parents were deeply concerned for him. And there was this man named Rasputin, who was a Russian mystic and self-proclaimed holy man, who apparently had success in improving the son's health situation, relieving his discomfort. There are people who believe he used hypnosis. I don't know what the the method was, but his success caused him to find favor with Nicholas and Alexandra. And as a result, Rasputin, who was really a very bad, a very immoral, a very unethical human being with an incredibly shady past, had tremendous influence over the last Tsar and Tsarina of Russia. He was ultimately killed by members of the government, but until he was, he exerted tremendous influence over Russian policy at the time. So why look back at Rasputin? And the reason is because today there is someone similarly situated in relationship to Putin in relationship to Vladimir Putin. And that is someone named Alexander Dugan. And if you don't know the name, let me just share a bit about him. 
Dugin is a Russian philosopher. He's a political analyst. He's a strategist. And he was the main organizer of what was and is the National Bolshevik Party and also the National Bolshevik Front and something called the Eurasia Party. He has theorized that the foundation of a Euro-Asian empire is capable of fighting the United States and the Western world. In 1980, Dugan joined the Yuzhinsky group, was the name of it, and it was a dissident group that dabbled in Satanism and other forms of occult. At the time, he was known in that organization for his embrace of Nazism. He wrote a book called The Foundations of Geopolitics, and this is what I'm leading up to and what you need to hear. In that book, he says the following, quote, Russia should use its special services within the borders of the United States to fuel instability and separatism. For instance, provoke Afro-American racists. Russia should introduce geopolitical disorder into internal American activity, encouraging all kinds of separatism and ethnic, social, and racial conflicts, actively supporting all dissent movements, extremist, racist, and sectarian groups, thus destabilizing internal political processes in the United States. It would make sense simultaneously to support isolationist tendencies in American politics, end quote. Dugan promotes the absolute destruction, as in Armageddon, And he believes it is necessary for Russia in order for Russia to return to its destined greatness. What he sees as the perfect example of the control of government mixed in with a spiritual component is Iran. He thinks the mullahs of Iran have the best example on the planet of that partnership between government and spiritual cultural control of the population. In that book, Foundations of Geopolitics, he says, there are no opponents of Putin's course. And if there are, they are mentally ill and need to be set off for clinical examination. Putin is everywhere. Putin is everything. Putin is absolute. And Putin is indispensable, end quote. Alexander Dugan is blatantly for the eradication of the Ukrainian identity. The reason you need to know about him and educate yourself about him is to understand his influence on Putin and to understand that this push into Ukraine, into those two provinces alone, are just the beginning. It's very Hitler-esque in its scope And in its belief that a Russian empire, along with a Eurasian component, should be ruling the world. Now let's turn to something else that's happening because it dovetails in a really disturbing way with what's happening in Russia. And that is the globalists, the World Economic Forum, those people who we hear meet in Davos, right? Who the wealthy, the politically powerful, the technological CEOs of the world. The motto of the World Economic Forum is the Great Reset. 
Klaus Schwab, the German engineer and economist who founded the European Management Forum in 1971 that later became what is now the World Economic Forum that he still heads, is who brought that concept forward into the World Economic Forum. In May of 2018, the World Economic Forum collaborated with Johns Hopkins Center for Health. What they did was they conducted something called Clade X, and it was a simulation of a national pandemic, <laughs> national pandemic response, and the exercise actually simulated the outbreak of a novel strain of human influenza with genetic elements of a specific virus called Clade X. Then, in October of 2019, the same World Economic Forum collaborated with Johns Hopkins and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on another pandemic exercise. It was called Event 201. And similarly, it simulated an international response to the outbreak of a novel coronavirus. Two months before the COVID outbreak in China became news and five months before the World Health Organization declared it a pandemic. That simulated exercise by the World Economic Forum and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, along with Johns Hopkins, very closely resembled the future COVID scenario that we all lived through, including incorporating the idea of asymptomatic spread, which was part of the simulation. Klaus Schwab, in his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, which was the title, he defines the Great Reset as a means of addressing weakness in capitalism. So there's where we begin to see the link between Putin and the World Economic Forum or Klaus Schwab. I'm not saying they're working together, I'm saying they have very different agendas, but they have a similar view of the, of the West, which in both instances is the destruction of the West. A quote from the World Economic Forum is this, really important that you hear this, quote, to achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our society and economies from education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country from the United States to China must participate and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. There are many reasons to pursue a Great Reset, but none is more urgent than COVID-19, end quote. The book went on to declare that COVID represents, listen to this, an opportunity that can be seized to take advantage of the unprecedented opportunity to reimagine our world. The moment must be seized to take advantage of this unique window of opportunity for those fortunate enough to find themselves in industries naturally resilient to the pandemic. Industries naturally resilient to the pandemic. You can think here like Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, big tech. The quote goes on. The crisis was not only more bearable, meaning for those entities, but even as a source of profitable opportunities at a time of distress for the majority, 
If the past five centuries in Europe and America have taught us anything, and this is still the quote, that acute crises contribute to boosting the power of the state. It's always been the case, and there is no reason it should be different with the COVID-19 pandemic. Schwab and the World Economic Forum have promoted this idea of stakeholder capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism is this public-private partnership language we've suddenly hear everywhere on the news. And these are policies that are embraced by governments, corporations, non-GOs, non-governmental organizations, also international governance bodies worldwide because of what Schwab and the World Economic Forum are implementing. Michael Rechtenwald is a professor of liberal and global liberal, liberal studies at New York University, and he was there for more than 10 years before he resigned this past January. He's also the author of a book called Beyond Woke. And here's what he said about Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. The goal of the Great Reset is capitalism with Chinese characteristics, a two-tiered economy with profitable monopolies and the state at the top, and socialism for the majority below, which is what communism is. Very similar, that elitist class that rules at the expense and control of everyone else. So what's wrong with the approach of Alexander Dugan and his influence on Putin or the approach of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum? Well, the problem is they're not moving to transition anything. They're moving to transform. You know, in nature, when nature moves from one thing to another, when a seed is planted or an egg is fertilized in a womb, there's a process by which, you know, it gets nourishment. If it's in the womb, if it's in the ground, if it's a seed, it gets nourishment, it gets the right conditions. And a moment comes when it's no longer contained by the space that it's in. It's able to live on its own and it descends or in the case of a seed, it ascends, right? It, it Let's just stick with the pregnancy for a moment or the, the giving of life through birth. It descends the canal and it comes out into a, a new environment. But its relationship to the mother, its relationship to that which made it possible doesn't end. It simply transitions to a new kind of relationship whereby that new birth being can grow, but it grows in relationship still to the mother that provided the environment that made it possible. What Putin, what Iran, what the World Economic Forum are all about is total destruction of what is in order to make something in their own image. They don't want to save anything about the liberties and the highest aspects of a constitutional republic or a democratic government. They don't want to save any of that. They want to be done with all of that because they're not about individual freedom. They're about collective control. And so it's very unnatural. And I'm always suspect of what defies nature. When I look outside and I'm perplexed by something, I see the 
harmony and the beauty and the workings of nature. And I know that there's an intelligence greater than all of us that made that happen. And we are part of that. And so we're not separate from it. We're a part of it. So like that infant descending that canal, we may feel stuck in the moment. We may feel frustrated in the moment. We may feel constricted in the moment, but maybe we're not stuck. Maybe it's just our time to push through. You know, I was talking to a neighbor the other day because I'm organizing my neighbors so that we have a plan in case there's an emergency of any nature, that we know how to reach each other and we know what we can do for one another and we know what benefits we can all bring to one another. It's a good plan for neighborhoods and actually born out of all the separation of the last two years and also born out of current world events and the concerns that they raise in all of us and the stress that they have created in all of us. There is a good feeling about joining with others of like mind. So I was talking to one of my neighbors as I was out handing out flyers about this organization plan I have for the neighborhood. And my neighbor said, you know, he's, he's losing hope. And I thought about that because I've talked about hope before. I always say hope is never lost. It's only misplaced. But a lot of people have misplaced hope, which is why the anxiety and the depression, the suicide rates are through the roof because there is in fact an atmosphere of despair. We've been here before though. We've been here historically, not in exactly this place, but we've been at moments of profound transition when the pressure from the outside seems almost intolerable. But every time we reach this narrowing point, this kind of transition, not transformation point, but transition point, it's an opportunity to set your intention and be ready to do your part. Because we inherently know that we can't do it alone. What we have forgotten is that we're not alone. It's not just up to us. The futility that we feel is our disconnect from source because we've participated and we've cooperated in that disconnect. If in no other way than by our inaction, our failure to acknowledge and stand up for source, for God, what you, what you call the creator, pick your word. It's all the same thing. You know, as a Jew, my religion is approaching the holiday of Purim and Purim is from the book of Esther, which both Christians and Jews are familiar with. If you don't know the story of the book of Esther, it's a particularly important one right now. And in Judaism, we believe there are no accidents in the sequence of stories in the Torah and that they all have relevance in our own time. So let me just synopsize the book of Esther and show you why it is such an incredible example for us right now of what we need to do. It took place in Persia, which is now Iran in around the 400 and 450 BC. There were Jews that after the Babylonian exile from Israel remained in Persia. And there was a woman by the name of Esther who was a beautiful young woman. And the king, whose name was Ashverosh, his wife wouldn't comply with his demand that she dance naked in front of him in court. So 
he banished her, basically divorced her, and they set about looking for a new bride for him. So they brought some of the most beautiful women in Persia to the um, palace, and Esther was chosen. She was a Jew, but the king did not know this. She kept her heritage secret because there had been oppression of the Jews. The king had a second-in-command. His name was Haman. And Haman liked to push people around. Mordecai was Esther's uncle. He had raised her after her parents were killed. Mordecai would not comply. Sound familiar? He would not comply. He would not bend the knee to Haman, as most people did, because of his connection to the king. Haman, in an attempt to get even with Mordecai, lied to the king told the king that it was Mordecai who had previously plotted to assassinate the king, when in fact it had not been Mordecai, and that as punishment, Mordecai should hang, and there should be a special holiday when all the Jews of Pur, the city Pur, P-U-R, which is where the holiday Purim, P-U-R-I-M, comes from, should be murdered, slaughtered. So Mordecai went to his niece, who was now the queen, and said, you have to go in to the king and tell him that Haman is, is lying, that I'm your uncle, and that I didn't do that. Esther said, I can't do that, because if he finds out I'm a Jew, he's going to kill me. And the famous quote from the book of Esther is this, Mordecai talking to Esther, quote, for if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, end quote. Esther fasted for three days, and then she went into the king. She told him the truth, and the end of the book of Esther is that the Jews of poor are not slaughtered, and Haman is hung on the gallows he had built for Mordecai to die on. Like Esther, we are being asked to make a choice, to stand for what is just and what is true. We have a choice. We always have a choice. We can voluntarily give up something, some of our comforts, something. We can voluntarily fast, or we can voluntarily stand up and risk what happened to some of those truckers in Canada. We can do that as an act of petitioning source, God, creator, now to intervene and support us in what we are doing. Or like Esther was warned by Mordecai, we can have everything taken away from us through disastrous or calamitous circumstances, through the Justin Trudeaus, the Klaus Schwab's, the Alexander Dugans, and the Vladimir Putins of the world, not to mention the mullahs in Iran. Remember, we are not separate from nature and the laws of nature. We've just been acting like we are, and we've become increasingly miserable in our separation from those laws. Now is the moment of opportunity. This is the moment of choosing. I've given a name to those of us who are showing up and standing for truth, who refuse to comply with and aid the separation and the oppression any longer. I call us the Brigade of the Willing. Join the Brigade. Stay awake, stay aware, 
Stay hopeful. Think for yourself, but stand for togetherness and stand against separation and oppression. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again on Friday. And until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.